Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter number one and verse number one, and I'll start off by reading. Then I'm going to have some of you all read, so I hope you have your Bibles ready and open, and uh, specifically in the book of Hebrews, I'll have uh, some of you read. Hebrews chapter one, verse number one, God who at sundry times, uh, what does sundry mean? Okay, there you go, various, uh, and in diverse manners, different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, notice that these last days, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then he continues on, uh, to continue to speak about his son, and that's going to be the, the focus of Hebrews. But what I wanted is just to catch and underscore here as we launch into these letters to Christians, to different people, God has spoken to us. He's given us specific revelation. He's given us his word, and that is really what we think, what we do with the word of God here in this place and in our own lives really is uh, what makes us who we are. And what quantifies this church is what we do with the word and what we say about the word and uh, what, we, uh, what we do in our own lives. So uh, we just underscore that right at the, at the beginning. God has spoken to us. He has given us his direct revelation and how precious that is. I hope you value that. And uh, we've been going through the Gospels, all the narratives surrounding the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Acts, which is basically the mission of Christ continuing on by his spirit through the church, through you and I. You have the letters to churches, Uh, that Paul was used to pen down. You have the letters also to the different leaders, uh, 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 Timothy and Titus and and, uh, Philemon. You have those letters to the leaders, but now the letters to the Christians. And so we're going to look at Hebrews first of all. Now, uh, many people say that the author is who? Paul. So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, there's no way to be dogmatic, but I just, I just allude to it as Paul, and uh, we'll, we'll just leave it there. And I guess we'll find out in heaven someday. God wrote it. <laughs> Amen. And uh, the Holy Spirit used someone to pin it down, and it seems like it might have been the Apostle Paul. But the theme is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And uh, really highlighting the superiority of Jesus in every, every way. So he is superior and he is sufficient. Uh, he is the answer to everything. All, that, all the needs that were exposed in the human heart throughout the Old Testament as God was progressively revealing his word, his specific revelation, are all answered in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our sin problem. He is the answer to our, our need for strength. He is the answer to everything. He is completely sufficient. And now, here's what I want you to do. Um, I need, uh, in your notes tonight, there are, there are, there's a list of Hebrew references that I need, I need to be read. So Hebrews 1.4, uh, who would over here uh, say, I'll read Hebrews 1.4, just raise your hand and accept that. Hebrews 1.4, Hebrews 7.19, 
Just remember that reference, Hebrews 7.22, Hebrews 8 and verse number 6, all right, and Hebrews 10.34, okay, Hebrews 11.16, all right, go there, Cliff, Hebrews 11.35, Hebrews 11.35, and Hebrews 12.24, all right, now here, we're looking for a dominant uh, theme through these verses, okay? So let's, uh, let's begin. Read them good and loud so everyone can hear them across the auditorium. Hebrews 1.4. Who is that? Okay, and so be listening for a dominant theme, being made so much better than the angels. Go ahead, 7.19. All right, verse 22. Amen, verse number 6 of chapter 8. All right, there we go, amen. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 34. Amen. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 16. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 35. Amen. Clear-cut voice cutting across the auditorium there. Amen. Okay, so what's the dominant theme? Better. Better. All the way through. Better. That word just keeps coming up. Better. Now, uh, what God was doing, all, what we've done in going through the whole Bible is we've shown that God was revealing himself, but he's also revealing things about us uh, to, unto ourselves as he, as he progressively worked through the Old Testament and, and comes to this time. And what he, what he is showing is now, now I've revealed Jesus. He's better than all of that. He's, he's the answer. These things looked forward to him. The sacrifices looked forward to him, but he's it. He's better. He's it. And he's the fulfillment. Now, uh, Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians likely prior to 70 A.D. What happened in 70 A.D. in Jerusalem? Okay, so they were completely destroyed. So uh, there, it seems that at the writing of Hebrews, that stuff was still intact. So it is thought that perhaps it was written ahead of that, that time. But Here's the basic message, and I'm going to put it down. I've heard this years ago um, from, a, from a preacher, and then I'll, I'll say a few more things. Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. You have people who had come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were really having a difficulty with understanding Jesus is it. And so they're still trying to hold on to all their traditions. And Hebrews is basically a message saying, don't, don't you get it? Jesus is it. Stop. Jesus is it. 
No more of the traditions. Jesus is it. And so that's the whole message of, of Hebrews, if you boil it down. Now, we could do a long series through the, um, the book of Hebrews, and perhaps we will someday. I should say we will someday by, um, if the Lord tarries. But, but the, the overwhelming message is you have, you have the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, who are really having a hard time grappling in their minds with it all being done in Jesus. Now, uh, remember what Hebrews says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness? So they had, not that the law ever brought them to salvation. What is the law? We learned this last week. The law is, according to Galatians, a, it's a schoolmaster that leads us to Jesus Christ. So the law never saved. In the Old Testament, the law didn't save people. It was always faith in God. Uh, Romans chapter number 4 uh, tells us about, about Abraham who who believed, and it was counted, it was imputed, it was credited to his account. Uh, righteousness was credited to his account. So uh, the law never saved. God's point was never to use the law to save man. It was to merely, uh, merely reveal the, the true sinfulness of mankind. Without the law, there is no sin. There is no knowledge of sin, I should say. So the law was never there to, to save them, yet in their minds they were struggling with this, this okay, Jesus is it. He's the end of the law for righteousness. I, I don't have to, I don't have to uh, do law keeping in order to be saved. I need to believe on him. And uh, by the way, uh, there are those that say, well, just throw out the law. God doesn't care about any of the things he told us to do. That's the, you know, that's the other side of the ditch. Uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He is our righteousness. I don't get righteousness by law keeping. I get righteousness in him. And from that righteousness in him, I need to be pleasing God. I need to be abiding by his will and his word. And so the Ten Commandments uh, naturally flow out of a life or flow out of a life that has accepted Jesus Christ. Now I can do this. Now I can live and please God. And, but I please him in Jesus Christ. And so um, it really was a message to the, the Jews that were so tempted to return to Judaism, uh, to fall back into old tradition as they, as they were pressured in persecution, uh, to fall back to those, to those things. And again, that's what Galatians was all about. What? You receive Jesus Christ by faith, and then you go on in the flesh? You go on trying to be perfected in the flesh? Uh, no, that's not the way it works. And so this message was particularly to the Jewish people, stop. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So much more could be said, but the emphasis is on the priesthood of Jesus and how he fulfilled and replaced the Old Testament sacrificial system. And one place I want you to note, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 7. Hebrews 9 and verse number 7. Verse number 7, but in the second, um, now, uh, verse number 6, now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into, into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now, what's it talking about? He goes into the holiest of holies on the day of atonement to offer the blood. You remember what they would do? They would put the, the bells and, and so forth, the, the uh, trinkets around the, the hem of the garment, and even tie a rope to the, the priest's foot uh, in case when going in, he went in with sin and that he'd be struck dead in the presence of God. So he was, he was in there with many different restrictions and great pressure. Can you imagine being the, the priest going into the holies of holies, into the presence of God to offer the, the, the blood 
uh, um, before God. And so that's what was having to happen year by year by year. Now look at verse number 28 of the same chapter. Verse number 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so here's what Christ does. He comes as the fulfillment of that picture, that Old Testament picture, he's offered once, and, and we get that song, Once for All, right? Uh, he, he was it. And so all of Hebrews is focused on Jesus is better. He is the fulfillment. Grab it, get it, uh, and, and stop, stop going back into Judaism. So that's the overarching message. Two parts of the book, uh, chapters 1 through 9, to establish Christ's superiority. So look at that. The next time you read through Hebrews, look for that that dominant theme, Christ's superiority, and then chapters 10 through 13, practical instructions for faithfulness. Now, why don't you turn over to chapter 10, and I'll just note a few places. And so we come to chapter, uh, chapter 10 in verse number, verse number uh, 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, that being Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart, with a genuine heart, and full assurance of faith. So there's no wavering here in full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. Notice these let us. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Where's that profession of faith uh, pointed at? It's pointed at Jesus Christ. Let us hold it fast. Let us hold on. Be strong in it. For, why? Because we're strong. For he is faithful, that promise. It's based in him. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So we're to take note of each other within the body of Christ. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the man of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as ye see the day approaching. And you see how this, in this initial uh, part of this section, really focuses on very practical things for believers. You get into chapter 11. We deal with the faith that we need to have. Chapter number 12, we need to be faithful to run our race, not somebody else's race, our race. How are we going to do that? By keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 13, we're not to have covetousness, and we're to be pure in our marital relationships, and we're, we're to also remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is our helper, and he's always with us, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. All these very practical, wonderful lessons that will help us to be faithful to the Lord as his followers. And so that is, uh, that is the book of Hebrews. Now, James opens up, and it takes this faith that we have, we have placed in the Lord Jesus Christ and says, now live this faith out. So some people think, well, hey, I've accepted this faith. I can live as I please. James says, no, you live from this faith. You don't, you don't work for this faith. You don't work for your, uh, your, your goodness or your acceptance to God. You work from your acceptance uh, in God. And so live out your faith. Faith needs to be lived out uh, visibly is really the theme of this book. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one who first doubted Jesus, is the author of this book. Isn't that an awesome thing? He got, uh, got to be used to the Lord to, uh, to write this book, but it's living faith. I remember a new believer once coming to me um, and, and saying, boy, I've read through the book of James, and that's just an in-your-face book. That's just a really you know, hard-hitting book, and it is. Uh, uh, verses such in there, uh, there that say, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Uh, you know, if you have faith without works, your faith is dead. And, you know, and it talks 
very straightforwardly. James is a uh, straightforward individual. The summary of the book, chapter 1, the Christian life. And so just really dealing with matters of, of, hey, make sure that you're not just a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word. Allow temptation and trials to have their perfect work. And so it deals with the, uh, the Christian life. Chapter number 2 deals with the matter of prejudice. And uh, lest we think that that is a new issue, it's not. And it's not even a new issue within the church. Go to Acts chapter number 15. It was an issue there in the first church, especially uh, the, uh, the church at Jerusalem towards the church at Antioch. And so uh, he deals with this matter of prejudice as well as active faith, making sure that you have a faith that is living and vibrant and visibly lived out. Chapter 3, our speech, dealing with our tongue. And that's a big issue. Uh, and uh, listen, a lot can be said about our faith by what we say. Uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we, can, we can say we have faith, but our, our speech sometimes betrays us. And so uh, our speech, but also matters of heavenly wisdom and how that we can always ask God for, um, for wisdom. We can seek that wisdom that is from above. And um, the, really the, the look of that wisdom, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, verse number 17. It's easy to be entreated, it's full of mercy. Chapter 4, obedience and stewardship, how we draw nigh to God and we reject the things of the world. We reject the temptations. We draw nigh to God and how he will help us draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Verse number 8, um, be afflicted and mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. So these matters of obedience, drawing near, taking that step, we wonder, how do we get uh, through temptation? Well, draw near to God and he will draw nigh to you. Submit to God. And, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So these practical matters of obedience and stewardship is uh, taken on in the latter portion of, of that chapter. Then ver, uh, chapter number five uh, deals really with patience, prayer, and faithfulness. Patience, prayer, and faithfulness, and uh, how we are to seek the Lord. And we remember even Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and rain not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave uh, rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so, really, we can, we can seek God in the same way. We are to seek God in the same way, and we are to seek him with that, that same heart. So James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Um, and was dealing with that church. Hey, make sure that you're living out your faith. And you can just sense the heart of a pastor there. Live out your faith. Don't just make it a Sunday thing. Don't just make it a verbal thing. Live it out. Make sure that it's, it's being seen in your speech and in your, in your life. And that is the development of spiritual maturity in our lives. When we're living out our faith. When it's not just something that we ascribe to, but we live, uh, we live it out. It, be, it comes out in our walk and our talk. Um, Ten years after this writing, Jerusalem would be destroyed. So it was vital that the church would be unified, that they would be focused, that they would be matured and prepared for what God desired to do through them. And uh, so that they would be prepared to um, be the, the church they ought to be. Now, it focused in on that church, um, but obviously it affected many other churches, this, this letter as well. And so James' heart comes through uh, in that way. James 2 and verse 18, Yea, a man... Uh, may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith. Without thy works, I will show thee my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by my works. May our lives this week show our faith. May our works show our faith. We don't work to be accepted of God. We work because we are accepted of God. And uh, that, that's a huge, huge matter in our day. 
And as you even saw when I, I, was, uh, I was witnessing to a man this, on this week, on Tuesday, and that was one of the topics that came up. I, I don't do this because I need to be accepted of God. I do this because I have already am accepted of God. I already am forgiven. And so I want you to have that same assurance as well. And so uh, we go on to Peter. Peter, uh, the first and second Peter, and we'll break that apart in a second. But Peter, the apostle of Christ, first century leader, uh, he writes to the scattered Christians, to the scattered Christians, those that are scattered abroad throughout the, throughout the world and that were being persecuted. So there's a dominant theme along that line. He was writing of very, uh, of very weighty things, uh, of suffering, things that were affecting them, that were, were burdening them down. He was probably writing from Rome around 64, 67 AD, and prior to when um, Peter would have been executed by, by Nero. So he even himself was facing uh, the, the struggle of uh, persecution. And so it was a message of encouragement, message of strength, a message of instruction for suffering believers, how to suffer, and it's a message that we, uh, we may need to really take note of even in these days. Uh, how, how do we suffer well for the, for the Lord? Um, and uh, the Lord wants us to suffer well, uh, suffer in a way that honors, honors him. It's also a warning to Christians uh, about false teachers. And so that's, again, another message that we need to be aware of uh, today. Think about these, uh, these verses. First Peter, if you want to turn there, First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7, and you can kind of catch the heart of Peter right from the get-go. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 7, that the trial of your faith being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. Hey, this is what I want for you. I want you to suffer well so that when you come, you glorify, and when Jesus comes, you glorify him, that you, are, you stand in a, in a position of pleasing him when he, when he comes at his appearing. You can also find in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 14 how that he tells us don't suffer as an evildoer, uh, but if you suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ, you do well. Um, but if you suffer as an evildoer because you've been a busybody, well, that's on you. But if you suffer because you've, uh, you've stood up for the gospel, that you stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth, you do well, and you can rejoice in that. First Peter can be broken down in four, po- uh, four parts. First, um, first part, our great salvation. Our great salvation, and just highlighting uh, the wonderful salvation that we have in him, but also then coming out of that, our great, uh, our great suffering that comes as a result of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what uh, Paul told Timothy, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Philippians 1 and verse number 29, it's not just given to us to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. So that comes out here in this passage, our great salvation, uh, part number two, our great suffering, and then part number three, how to live in suffering, how to live out our, our Christian lives in suffering, living in a way that pleases him. And ultimately, the same way we live outside of suffering is the same way we're supposed to live in suffering. Apply the, the principles of the, of the word of God. Live it out. Live it out. Uh, just walk in a way that is pure. Walk in a way that is honoring to God no matter what is happening around us. Not rendering evil for evil. Verse number nine of chapter three. Uh, not, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So we are, to, we are not to, to give back. We're not to retaliate in that, uh, that way. We're to give back bless, uh, a blessing. And so part number four, how to lead through suffering. 
how to lead through suffering, how to lead others and encourage others through the midst of suffering in chapter number five. Then second Peter, broken down into three parts, three easy parts, and let's just briefly look at those. Growing as a, as a Christian in chapter number one of this, uh, of this chapter, being fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he says, according as his divine power, verse number three, according as his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, how through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So everything is through the knowledge of him. What is the knowledge of him? Through the knowledge of his word. Uh, but grow in, gra- uh, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Part number two, the warning of false teachers. And so the, again, this, this theme that comes out through Peter, make sure that you're aware of this. You're going to be suffering, but beware of the false teachers that are going to be there and the warning of heresies in chapter number, uh, chapter number three. He says in chapter two there, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, that bought them, and have uh, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I, tell, I say this over and over, but false teachers never come in the front door and say, hey, I'm here to bring false teaching. They're not going to do that. They always come in privily, and they bring damnable heresies. What does that mean? They bring heresies that, uh, that will damn people to hell, that will cause people to face the damnation of Almighty God. What an, what an awful thing. But that's a reality, even in this day. And uh, so there's suffering. That is a reality for believers. That's the message of Peter. There's also false teachers. That's a reality for believers. And uh, this, uh, the false teaching abounds today. I, I, hear, I hear it often in the misuse of grace, that grace is a license to sin. That, that, that heresy's not gone away. It was brought up in Galatians. It's not gone away. It was brought up in Romans. It's not gone away. What shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It's still there. And uh, even the message of, of Calvinism that, that limits the atonement, it, it's still there. It still circulates. It still draws people away. I, I'm watching people, if I, I were to say their name, people and preachers right, right now who have been swayed into that, uh, into that doctrine are being drawn away. People that, that, boy, I love to hear them preach, but yet they're being drawn away in how false doctrine just continues to draw people away from the, the truth. By the way, you won't, you won't get into Calvinism by reading the Bible. You'll get into Calvinism by reading other people's opinions about the Bible. And that's over and over, over and over, that's what happens. People get enamored with some man, and they begin to get drawn away, uh, uh, drawn away by some teacher. And uh, you won't get it by getting into the Bible. And so as we think about that, this message of suffering and false teaching, this is something that can be applied into our own lives as you, as you think about our own need to stand firm in the midst of suffering and stand firm on the truth. Let's look at John for just a few moments. Uh, the, the, on the book of John, break, um, broken down 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John uh, was Jesus' disciple, uh, the last living apostle. So he's the, the one that survives them all. And so think about his role. Now, he's going to write Revelation, but think about his role as the last one on the scene, the last one to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a, a heavy and, 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 and a very important role. He writes to these believers, these younger believers, and as this older man, he writes to them and he calls them my little children, my little children. Now, remember, 
First, second, and third John are written to believers. That's very important to understand. There's, there's some false teaching that, that comes when we, we start trying to take first John and write it to the unbelievers or write it to another audience. It's written to believers. My little children. And so he is, he is writing to them to give them confidence and assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ and in their salvation. He's writing to them as a new generation. He's saying, hey, I want you to have confidence as you go forward. As I pass off the scene, I want you to have confidence. And so that's still the same message for us today. Uh, notice 1 John 5.13. Would you turn there? 1 John 5.13. So as we look at the, the books of John, I really want you to notice that the theme of 1 John is perfect love, and this in particular, assurance. Assurance. Assurance of our salvation. 1 John 5.13 says these things. Let's read this out loud together. 1 John 5.13, ready and begin. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he says, I've written this, that believe, all right, you're believers, that you might know you have eternal life, that by experience you might know that you have eternal life, not just factually, uh, textbook knowledge, but that you might know, that you might have this assurance in your heart. And that's an assurance that the Lord himself gives to us by the Holy Spirit. So John is writing to validate Jesus, to explain him, to dispel uh, doubts about his, about his nature, doubts about the nature of the gospel, doubts about salvation and the security of salvation. So there's, again, these heresies that are out there that, that salvation is not something that's secure, that you can step in and out of salvation. By the way, um, Calvinism is a doctrine that highlights or emphasizes, overemphasizes the sovereignty of God. So uh, God knows who's going to be saved, and so uh, you can't do anything about it. It's all up to God. So those that will be saved will be saved. Those that won't be saved won't be saved. All right? That's, that's the doctrine of Calvinism. What is on the other end of that spectrum? Arminianism. So this is the doctrine that overemphasizes the free will of man. Okay, so did God, is God sovereign? Yes. Uh, did he create us with a free will? Yes. So how do these two merge? It's a pretty amazing doctrine, a pretty amazing thing. So how those two merge, really, I, I think we'll one day get that all explained to us in heaven. But they're both taught in Scripture, and we must believe and hold on to both. But the Armenians... Uh, he, he errs on this side. And so he is, he is completely responsible, in their minds, completely responsible for, uh, for their salvation. So it's all up to man. Uh, that's not much of a salvation, is it? No. Uh, it, it's, it, it, so we, we believe those two, that there is a free will. We have the free will to respond to the, to the gospel and to receive what he's done. But John chapter number 10 and verse number 28 makes it clear to us, those that respond and receive the Lord Jesus Christ are safe in the hands of Jesus Christ. He knows the sheep. He's not going to lose them. And uh, praise the Lord for that. And so John is writing to dispel these doubts. And so if you struggle with the, uh, with the assurance of your salvation, 1 John is the place to read. And not just as a... a, a uh, I've heard it taught in this way that's, you know, kind of a checklist, you know, these, these uh, checklists of, of salvation. It, it's not, that's not the focus. He's writing to help you to be assured of your salvation. He's not trying to uh, uh, talk you out of your salvation. He's writing to assure you of your salvation. And so the Holy Spirit can do that ultimately as you allow his word to have dominance in your heart. 
And also this other, this other dominant theme in the book of 1 John, there is no fear in love. Perfect, perfect love. And so as you break apart 1 John, God is light. Uh, he is full of light. There's no darkness in him at all. God is love, chapters 3 and 4. God is love, and uh, he is the author of love. We love him because he first loved us. Chapter 5, God is life. He's everything. He's everything. He is our life. Second John is written as a fortification to believers, to a church, to a group of believers, fortification against false doctrine, false teachers. So it's written to the elect lady. Now, whether that is one lady, whether that is a, a church, uh, a church body or a family, uh, there's, there's debate about that, but it is written to a, a, um, to a believer, to believers, to help fortify them against false teaching and really to help them understand uh, truth and love together. And as you read through that, we did a, we did a study through on 2 John. It, it's available at the website, and so we preached through that um, probably in about five messages, I believe it was, but how truth and love go together. And that we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't allow one to uh, just operate on their own. They, they go together. And so uh, truth, you know, sometimes people can be all, all truth and uh, be very divisive, but uh, that love is very important as well. The other, the other side of that, people can be all love and they, they, uh, they sacrifice truth on the altar of love. And so God wants us to have both and that's accentuated in the book of Second John. Third John is a letter to this man named Gaius, a leader in the church in Asia Minor, and uh, it really highlights three different men. Uh, Gaius, uh, who loved and followed Jesus, he served, he cared for others, really just had a huge heart. But what's interesting in this, in this particular book, you have this man named Diotrephes, who was a self-appointed leader, and got in the way of, and really hindered the care of, of other Christians and Christian leaders. And what's interesting in this, in this book, you have this dominant theme of Christian care, but you have this, this man, Diotrephes, who, who restricts that. And uh, John says, you know, when I, when I come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to him. I'm going to have some words for him. Because he was restricting what God was wanting them to do. He was restricting the care to other traveling missionaries and preachers. And so he wouldn't allow them to come. And so it was really being quite a problem. He was a self-appointed leader and uh, was, was hung up on himself. There was De, uh, Demetrius who followed the truth. And uh, he got a, a commendation. And that's who we want to be like, these, uh, these men, Gaius and Demetrius. Lastly, let's think about Jude. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, brother of James, uh, written in 65 AD. And the theme is contending for the truth, standing up for the truth. Not being contentious, but contending, standing up and guarding the truth, standing against the attack. So it's a, it's a challenge to, to really value the word of God. And notice Jude chapter number 1 or Jude 1 and verse number 3. It says, Jude 1 and verse number 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that which was commonly understood, the gospel, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, which was, which was given authoritatively unto the saints. And so he writes, hey, I, you need to value the word that was given. You need to uh, value it in your own lives and your understanding. You need to hate, hate sin, be on guard against the false teachers, avoid the, uh, the apostasy. This is the, the posture that you need to have. This is the attitude that you need to have. And so Jude was written in that way. So all these books that were written to Christians, the dominant themes that are there, 
grow, grow in the Lord. Uh, make sure that you're being faithful, discern false teaching. How does that happen? Through the word of God. As you understand the word of God, you'll see and be able to spot the counterfeits. As you receive the word of God, you'll be able to grow in the faith. You'll be able to be faithful. In fact, without the word of God, we can't be faithful. We won't know to be faithful. And so, as I said in the, the, the beginning, really what we, what we together say in this place about the word of God is a quantifier of what, what kind of church that we are. And when you encourage people to go to church, encourage them to go to a church that opens up the Word of God and, and teaches it. This is what the Word of God says. It is our sole authority uh, for faith and for, for practice. And so, First uh, Peter, I'll leave us with this verse 1 and verse number 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth. We're in the midst of fall. We're seeing that, right? All my hostas are yellow. They need to be cut down. Why? Uh, that's what happens. That's the natural course. What's the illustration? But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It stands firm. This is what this is, what is a, a solid foundation. This is what you need in your life. This is what I need in my life. This is the best thing that our, our church could ever vest in, can ever look into, is the word of God. And so we're very grateful for it. And don't you love it how God, through the New Testament, he, he establishes the gospels. Here's what Jesus was doing on earth. He establishes what's happening in the church through the book of Acts. This is what God is still doing. And this is what the churches need to be focused on. So the letters to the churches. This is what the leaders need to be focused on. So letters to leaders. This is what you need to be focused on. So the letters to the, to the on different believers. And then he ends it all up. The next time we're together, we'll look at Revelation. He ends it all up. This is where we're going. And so simple how God has laid it out for us. And what a great blessing we have in the word of God. So let's praise him for it tonight. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness to us and specifically revealing yourself to us in your word and being so practical, so practical. I pray that we would dive into these different, uh, different letters that you've given to us, that we would encourage ourselves in your word, that we grow, that we'd be faithful, that we would not neglect your truth, and that we'd not be ashamed of it in this perverse culture in which we live, that we uh, lift it up even tomorrow as we go to work, and everywhere that we are, that we'd lift it up, that we'd stand by it, stand by the stuff. And I pray that you'd help us in this regard. Give us strength, help us to rely upon your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.